Whether it's dismantling the fossil fuel industry, creating a solar-powered utopia, or simply desiring to hear more birds in the sky than planes, this is Idealistically, a podcast where we discuss what we would idealistically want in an ideal world. and welcome back to Idealistically. I'm your host Tomaya Gregory, an artist and climate justice activist hoping to inspire you to imagine a better world more radically without limitations and without anyone telling you no. It's been a while since the end of season one where I spoke to a variety of artists, activists and influencers about what they want in an ideal world. This is a new season where I'm going to be asking even more wonderful people about their creative visions for the future and how they think we can get there. I also like to keep it real on this podcast and I always check in with the folks that I speak to about how they're feeling considering, well, you know, the state of everything right now, which means it's probably time for me to check in too. If I'm going to be entirely honest, my activism has definitely shifted since the end of season one and when I last spoke to you, I'm doing a lot more of what genuinely brings me joy and what I feel really passionate about. Getting more hands-on with my artwork, creating a lot more... And part of that is to do with the conversations I've had on here. So much of what we've been talking about has been about joy and what we love and protecting the ability to do that. And I think it just goes to show that as much as fighting for, you know, a better world is so important, we actually have to start building it. And for me, building it means doing it and doing the things I enjoy and There's definitely privilege in that. There's privilege in being able to take a step back from being so active and do more of the stuff that I love. At the end of the day, though, that's what I want for everyone. And that's becoming more clear. I can see that within my vision of the future. And I didn't really have that before. I want people to have more time. I want people to have the ability to do the things that they love without having to think about the impacts it might be having or without guilt and without shame. And I'm really grateful that my eyes and my heart have been open to that. So going forward with this season, I really want to hear more about examples of an ideal world that are already happening now, things that already exist now, because I think it goes to show that we don't actually have to look too far into the future. We can build from what's already growing now because there is so much energy and there is so much passion from people who do care and you know a lot of people like to say that action is hope and taking action is hope so yeah I'm gonna really like pull from that I think this season with that you may notice one or two new questions including one brought to you by Together Band this podcast has been entirely self-funded and self-made and often I'm interviewing people who are very busy and are often asked to do things or the cause without compensation for their time and knowledge. So it's been really important to me to do just that and compensate my guests for their time. However, I am just one individual, so I'm really grateful to Together Band for supporting the season and enabling me to continue supporting the work of my guests. Together Band is a campaign which highlights the UN Sustainable Development Goals through creative, ethical and sustainable design, allowing people to share their values with the world and talk about which global goals they are working to support. So thank you very much to Together 
the band for helping out with season two of Idealistically and working towards their version of an ideal world. Obviously, if you want to learn more about Together Band, you can find all the information in the podcast description. I really am grateful for this partnership. I've seen firsthand how passionate the team are about supporting young activists and actually truly listening to what they need right now. And I need a little helping hand with the podcast. So thank you very much to the team at Together Band for making this season that little bit more possible. I'm so excited to jump into a new season of Idealistically, so let's buckle up, let's get our thinking caps on, and let's imagine what our ideal world looks like. Without further ado, I will let my guests introduce themselves. Thank you so much for joining me. Would you like to introduce yourself, who you are, what wonderful, amazing things that you get up to? Let's hear it. Hello, everybody. My name is Helena Bennett. I work at a think tank and NGO based in London. It's called Green Alliance, and I work on climate change policy. Uh, That involves lots of different things. We can maybe get into that a bit later. Um, I live in London, where I work. Um, But actually, a lot of your listeners probably or would know me from um, Instagram, which is where I have an account called Earth by Helena, where I talk about um, all things climate, climate justice, politics, social justice. Um, And the key for me about using the platform I have with the privilege I have and the job I have is trying to break down like really complex topics to do with, especially climate and politics. Because I think the barrier to entry can often feel quite high for people. Just It's just the way the system's been built up. So the aim of my platform is to try and really break down these big complex issues into like kind of digestible bites and get conversations going and start, um, you know, good discussions about things going on in the climate movement and in the world of politics. Um, and I love the little kind of community that exists over there. It's just so nice having, you know, like new friends and internet friends feels like a kind of weird thing to say. It feels really like naughties, <laughs> um, um, kids on Tumblr, but it's such a good um, environment over on, I find over on Instagram. Amazing. Thank you for the introduction. A quick, quick fire question from Together Band who are supporting this season of the podcast. Which UN Sustainable Development Goal aligns most with you and what you work on? Uh, I guess the obvious answer would be climate action, which I think is number 13. Um, But I mean, I think the beauty of the Sustainable Development Goals is that they actually are all completely linked with one another. Like you improve one and you automatically improve all of the others in in some kind of way. I guess the kind of ones relating to um, equality and equity are really important to me as well. Um, and again, climate action and, and climate justice fits in super closely with the equality lens. So probably climate action from a work point of view, but the vague answer is all of them. <laughs> yeah, that's always my answer too. I'm just like, I can't pick one. So we know what you do. We know who you are. To get a feel of where you're at, how are you currently finding it to envision an ideal world? Is it easy? Is it a little bit trickier? How are you feeling? I actually find it really easy to envision a kind of future ideal world. And I think that's mostly because I'm actually a massive optimist and a bit of a dreamer, I would say. And I would say I'm an idealist, actually, if that's even a phrase that you can call yourself. But And I think it's really helpful when I have a really strong sense of what I would like a kind of utopic future 
to be. And when you've got a really clear vision like that, I find it really easy to then try and embed that into the day-to-day and how you live your life as an individual. Um, I think that's, to me, like the real key about this kind of futures and and visioning and like picturing an ideal future is about embodying the elements of that that you can in your life today. And it just really helps yourself. It helps people around you understand like what a good ideal future could be. Um, and I think through my work, especially, it's then quite easy to pick parts of things that I think are going to be fantastic for everybody in a future and bring that into like climate policy and try and embed really interesting and tangible things into what we can see being changed today if that makes sense yeah no and actually that's that's great for this podcast because if you already have a very strong vision we're gonna have a great time (laughs) actually so many people are like it's so difficult because obviously just like the world sends us so many messages that we are doomed (laughs) so yeah it's it's refreshing to hear that you have a very clear vision already speaking of that What is, if you've already got a clear vision, you might have many things that come to mind, but what is like the first main thing that comes to mind when you do envision that kind of ideal image in your head? To me, I think the like root and key to all of it is about community and relationships and how we interact with one another as human beings and kind of relationships based on like respect and trust and love. And that probably feels like a really... Uh, kind of, I don't know, intangible thing, I guess. But an, an example would be, so I live in London, which is, especially for people that don't live in London, I think they see it as this like big, scary city with lots of people and crazy public transport and et cetera, et cetera. I live in a little part in Northwest London that has almost like a bit of a village feel to it, but it's like 20 minutes to the to very central London. Um, and I know all of the neighbours and like the block that I live in. I know my hairdresser. I've got a really good relationship with the lady that does my nails. I know our the guy that like does the kind of council street sweeping. Always have a little chat with him in the mornings. Um, my partner knows his hairdresser. We've got quite a lot of friends that live really locally to us. I can walk down the high street and say hi to three or four people that I either know or just recognise from having lived in the area for a while. And the joy the kind of really like base level joy that that brings me and that I know it brings other people as well is so grounding and so I think it's actually quite rare to find especially in big cities when you haven't lived somewhere for a really long time and there are so many like little things to pull out of this idea of community that help lots of other areas of like injustice in life so uh, an example would be to me Um, the idea of like a sharing economy and I recently did an ad on Instagram with Olio which hopefully some of your listeners will have heard of where basically you put stuff like extra Brussels sprouts that you've got left over that you're not going to use you put them on the app and someone will come over and pick them up from you Um, and I promise this isn't an ad I wasn't paid to say this but they've also got a feature now which is called borrowing where basically you can just like borrow stuff from people nearby you so the example I did on Instagram was like borrowing a pasta maker because I'm not going to pay 80 quid for something that I'm only going to use like once a year and when you know people in your neighborhood and you know your upstairs neighbors and you know you know the guy that owns the shop down the road that you have chats to and you start embedding this idea of like sharing stuff with them 
automatically you're reducing so if, if that was properly embedded you'd reduce so much waste and therefore emissions and etc cetera, etc cetera. but you can't really do that without having trust in the community and people around you and then there's lots of other examples like community gardening so that brings in like a kind of food justice and again like an emissions and climate and soil health element local public transport and this kind of comes back down to like a, a government thing i guess but local authorities and local councils and and the um, pride that people have in how good their local bus services are and how good their cycle lanes are that's that's a community thing as well because it takes everybody to want it and to care for it as a community so there's lots of really good examples not in, not where i live but around the uk of and beyond the uk of community renewable energy like you know community solar projects and you know rooftop solar that you put on big buildings that everybody contributes to and and living walls on the side of buildings that everybody who lives in the block has to look after there are just so many like little things that you can pull out and this decentralization and in a way almost like autonomy over lots of different elements of life happen when you've got really strong community foundations and it's not I don't think it's very common to hark back to like the middle ages or whatever <laughs> in like thinking of utopia but actually that really like kind of local way of living I think was really good in so many ways and we've just massively lost that today um for lots and lots of different reasons but it's much easier to do you know all like climate organizing at a local level is just so much easier and often more impactful because you actually have quite a lot of influence over what happens in your community and in your space and you know community doesn't just have to be a place-based thing and I kind of go back to the thing we talked about earlier on Instagram and the communities you can build online as well um and the friendship you can make and, you know, bringing people together to form a collective to push for one type of chat or multiple types of change is so powerful. And I think we often don't think of stuff like that as a kind of community thing. We think of it as like, OK, a few people online end up, you know, joining a local climate action group and doing X, Y, Z. But that is a commute. That is a form of community. And we put trust in each other and we rely on each other to be able to do certain things whether it's you know writing letter templates for your mp or if it's like relying on people to edit videos you make to go on instagram to talk about the latest ipcc report like that is all to me that is all community i think we need to start thinking about literally how we live our lives in terms of communities a lot more i think it would benefit literally everybody yeah definitely um i think on like instagram like i put up a post recently like oh, I've noticed like more people near me who have been like responding to my content. And now I have like a little chat that I'm going to like set up to see if we can like meet up in person. And it's like, those are people I would never have known existed if I hadn't have like done that call out. So there's like the online bit, but then there's also the opportunity to then reach out where you are. And I think that is really cool. Love that. Love that so much. On the, um, the point about like apartment blocks, I was so shocked and surprised like when I moved in, like I moved into an apartment block like end of last year and like new to it didn't know what it was going to be like and I was really surprised that like I didn't really I haven't really met anyone like I've met one neighbor and like I'll occasionally like pass him on a nearby road or whatever but like I didn't really know anyone and that was really surprising to me so it's really nice to hear that you have the opposite experience um but yeah like just small things like that it also adds to, I think, like resilience. Like if you know everyone in your building and then, I don't know, climate it impacts you, you're going to have people there you can rely on. So yeah, there are definitely many, many benefits. It's like an easily actionable thing that we can do to already make that part of our lives better and more ideal. 
what would you keep from this current version of reality for your ideal world? Because as much as we want to, you know, start a revolution and all that, there are going to be some things that we want to take forward. I think uh, there's a risk when we talk about like future ideal worlds that we have this perfect state in mind. And once we're there, we don't need to worry about anything anymore. And that's, I mean, I absolutely don't think that's the case at all. And I imagine when people really think about it, they can also understand why. But if you if you go back like a few hundred years, not even that, and people looked to our society today and, you know, you think about like women having a vote, black people having a vote, like all these different things that weren't possible a few hundred years ago that are now, I mean, literally women being able to work till they're 70 and never have a child and still have like a healthy, wealthy life. Even like 50 years ago, that was really weird. And so there's, I think there's a risk that we, people from the past would have looked at today and gone, wow, perfect. That's, that's it. That's utopia. Um, but as, especially as younger people living in this generation, we can see so many injustices around us today, whether it's, you know, trans rights and discrimination against, continued discrimination against trans people and the wider LGBTQ plus community, whether it's, you know, ongoing racism, even if it's not as like kind of in your face as it was a hundred years ago, it's absolutely still super rife in all parts of society. You know, all these, all these different things that are still going on. And the push, especially from younger people, but just more widely as well, the push for continued perfectionism on issues of injustice, I think is so important. We're probably, sadly, I would say probably never going to reach a state of complete equity and equality across everybody in the world for loads of reasons. Um, Mostly because the whole, you know, humanity exists and every single person in this world is completely different to the next person. There's always going to be people with views that don't align with my views and your views and whatever else it is. So my version of justice and equity is probably not the same as someone else's version of justice and equity. So there's never going to be complete liberation for everybody, sadly. It doesn't mean we shouldn't try and get there. But I love this real, like, vigour that people have for getting rid of vicious and violent cycles of injustice and oppression and marginalization. And the thought of a future utopia not having to have that to me isn't very realistic. So keeping that like fight and drive and ambition to keep pushing for more and for better, I think is something that's going really, really well at the moment in, especially in this, well, mostly in the circles that I (laughs) operate in, not everywhere, but like the idea of continuing to use that in a future society, I think is really important and something we should all be continuing to do as we move forward. Yeah, I think that's a really a good point. When I think of a future, which, you know, part of this podcast, I haven't quite figured it out yet, but I think part of it is that it will be a future where just things continuously change and like get better and evolve. Like I think that's part of the failure of like society in the world now is like we're so stuck in kind of the ways that we're living and people especially those in power like aren't breaking out of that and I think that's what part of our future will be like being open to change more and being more fluid with that so kind of like on a similar vein can you give an example of anything that 
is kind of already in existence that kind of transports you into an ideal world like when you're whether it's like a place or when you're in a group of people like you're like ah this is it like this is what I want more of (laughs) I can think of a few things one that immediately just springs to mind and it's not perfect at all but I just really love public transport in London (laughs) I just public transport is so great and we have I mean London's definitely got probably the best public transport in the UK so I'm absolutely biased and most of my friends like kind of mid to late 20s don't own a car in London it's really rare the idea of, of me driving into central London in my car is it doesn't exist I would never do that ever um and I'm not saying I don't ever want anyone to drive ever again but I adore the idea of my high street being pedestrian <laughs> to and again that comes back to me it comes back down to that community thing of like having a really nice open safe space where you can live and feel safe and comfortable and like you know trust between the people around you etc i mean public transport in the uk is not cheap especially trains um london i don't think it's too bad i mean there's all you know you could always advocate for free public transport and in an absolutely perfect utopia you know maybe public transport would all be free and everybody would have access to it and it would be completely you know zero emission and like very safe and clean and you know no pollution etc um but i think we're at, at a place in london where the public transport is so good that people can use it as their main form of transport and never need anything else that includes cycling as well um because the cycling infrastructure is I mean, I'm not a massive cyclist, but I think it's pretty good in London compared to other places. Not the best, but... um, And I I notice it, especially when I go other places, especially more rural places, and there isn't any public transport. And you do have to rely on getting in your car to make every single journey that you make. It's funny, I I work on, like, transport stuff at at my job, and I never thought I'd become a proper, like, transport head, but here I am (laughs) talking about transport um but it's so important again it comes back to community again which is why this is this idea is like at the root of all my thinking about future worlds like the ability to be able to go go to work and see your colleagues or especially in this age of working from home or go and see your friends go and visit your family cars are a barrier to access of travel for a lot of low-income people around the country it's expensive to have a car and it's expensive to maintain a car and petrol prices right now are super high if public transport services were massively expanded and reliable and accessible and everybody was able to kind of use them without much fuss that barrier to creating communities would be broken down even further which is why in london i feel especially grateful that someone on the other side of the city i can go and see them in 40 minutes without much fuss really if you caught me on a bad day I'd have a lot of complaints about London public transport but I'm in a good mood today so <laughs> so that's my answer I see though like the tube is quite incredible like I remember going to New York and thinking oh their metro is, or their subway or whatever is going to be like just the same it's going to be really easy and it is nothing like it like the tube is like we've got it good to got have to say you know I hope it is free one day that would be even more amazing um but yeah no I actually love that answer I find like that the conversation around cars like I feel like in my my previous season of the podcast I wasn't using a car as much I don't drive but um my partner does and so now like I'd say my carbon footprint is slightly worse because it's it's just easy (laughs) and I just think it's such a big barrier that we have to kind of 
a gap through but then also the solution is so easy as well like it's right there we can get into that another day This is a quick break to let you know that Idealistically will be at the Cheltenham Science Festival on June 12th at 6pm. I will be interviewing an activist from the Choked Up campaign, which is a campaign led by black and brown teens living in areas affected by air pollution. The event is free and you can find all the information in the podcast description. Once again, that is June 12th at 6pm at the Cheltenham Science Festival. I hope to see you there. give context for like where all these ideas for your ideal world come from we're going to deep dive a little bit more into you and what you do so do you want to like expand a little bit more on like the job side of your work just because I'm really interested I know a bit about it but like I want to know more um but also then we'll we'll see how that then influences your ideal world sure so my job is super interesting um and I've found since I've been doing it for about a year now the amount that I talk about climate outside of my day-to-day and online and stuff has dropped dramatically because when you talk about it all day every day at work the last thing you want to do is leave work and start talking about it all over again um having said that there's a reason that I like moved kind of career paths to to do this type of work and I feel a lot more fulfilled weirdly um not weirdly, oh, that was kind of to be expected, than, than I did in the job I was doing before. So um, Green Lights, where I work, is a charity and a think tank. So think tanks generally look at um, public policy and understanding how to influence and change public policy for a certain agenda. And the NGO I work for is to do with climate and green and environment, etc. Um, and I work specifically on climate stuff um and I guess there's a couple of like elements to the type of work think tanks do and the the work I do fits into that as well so there's quite a lot around uh, research and data analysis so if we go back to taking transport as an example understanding you know a basic example why do people drive how often do they drive where are they driving to um you know understanding those patterns of behavior for example um that's that probably wasn't a good example because it's like quite basic but you get the idea um and then using that the kind of critical bit is using that data analysis that research to understand how things can change so you can't suggest um improving public transport services in a certain area if you don't understand why people are moving around the way they do what kind of journeys people are making what times of day they travel you know, would they use a bus or a train if it was there or a tram or would they use a cycle lane? Like all these different things. Um, And then the third, so that's kind of like the policy side. And then the third part is then working with um, parliamentarians. So so people in government and MPs, ministers, um, as well as like the civil service who are the ones implementing government policy. So like the Conservative government will say, we want to build um, X offshore wind farms and then one of the government departments for business, energy and industrial strategy would say, okay, we're going to do it in this way and it's going to cost this much and X, Y, Z is also going to happen. And a think tank might come along and say, actually, we think you should build four 
wind farms instead of two or whatever it is. Um, so you do a bunch of work with the civil service and with MPs who are interested. And, you know, you can go and join like debates in, in parliament and give evidence to MPs. And there's lots and lots of different kind of technical things <laughs> that happen on the like on the kind of government and advocacy side. And with the hope of being able to encourage whoever's in charge, regardless of which party it is, to have more of a green agenda, act faster on climate, be more ambitious on targets, all that kind of stuff. So there's loads and loads of different elements that happen in a think tank. Um, like I said, the big project that I'm working on at the moment is to do with, all to do with transport. And transport is the highest emitting sector in the UK. Um, and I think people who don't maybe don't work in transport probably think, oh, that's quite boring. But actually, it's like so tangible <laughs> to everything and every single person in the country is impacted by decisions made on transport, whether it's to do with cars, public transport, flying, shipping, freight, vans, cars, bikes, whatever it is, it impacts literally everybody. And there's a huge, huge social justice element to transport as well, um, which is really interesting to explore. Uh, so that's the kind of high level overview of like think tanks and Green Alliance in particular, obviously looking at the like green agenda within that. In my mind, working a job like that, where you're kind of interacting with like government and stuff like that it would be really frustrating <laughs> is is it <laughs> and how do you think working in this field impacts your like imagination like do you think it has made it flourish more or do you think like I would expect it's like actually made it more difficult um it's yeah it's a good question I, I actually don't think it weirdly has impacted my kind of visioning for a future. If anything, it's just made it more uh, nuanced, maybe nuanced isn't the right word, but a bit more like understandable about how you would get there. Because what I, what I think a lot of people, including myself previously, and to an extent probably now still, don't realise or think about is from a climate activist point of view, when you demand X, Y, Z, you know, if you take XR a couple of years ago, net zero by 2025, that sounds like, okay, like the climate crisis is a crisis. We need to act now. Net zero by 2025 is what we should be aiming for. But the stepping stones to get there are like, I, I just don't think it's fully, even I don't fully comprehend how complicated this kind of stuff is. Like fossil fuels are embedded in everything we do. <laughs> Transport again, getting in your car, getting on a train, flying, you know, your even your bike that you think is low carbon has like been made by some kind of fossil fuels. The food you eat is transported by fossil fuels and probably has some weird fossil fuels in the packaging. Um, you know, you turn your electricity on at home, even if you're with a renewable energy supplier, there is fossil fuels on the grid. Your boiler is being heated, your gas hob, your boiler is being heated by gas. Everything we do <laughs> has fossil fuels embedded in it. And you can't just take that away like society wouldn't function if you just if you literally turned the taps off I'm not saying that anyone is suggesting that that's what we do but I think when you work more closely with not so much government but actually the civil service I would say and understanding how policy is made and the steps that are needed to go from A to B makes you realize that this is like a huge task and yes net zero is not zero but it's like a first step towards getting rid of fossil fuels from our lives and society so I wouldn't say it's made 
my kind of utopia harder to envision or anything like that, I would just say it's made it more clear to me how to actually get there. And it means that there are more steps to get, you know, to getting there because I didn't know there were a lot of steps that <laughs> that existed before that have presented themselves. But, um, and I don't think, I think that's more to do with actually understanding, you know, not that I have a full understanding of stuff, but, you know, like legalities of things and the kind of hoops that you would have to jump to to change a policy and the different people that you would need to, the different stakeholders you would need to influence to make something happen. Um, this stuff goes so deep and it takes so long because there are so many people involved and every decision about anything to do with climate affects loads and loads of people in lots and lots of different ways. Um, and I think we often feel quite removed from the actual doing of stuff because you don't, we don't, I say we, as climate activists, I don't even know if I put myself in that category anymore, to be honest, but as like climate activists, it's easy to finger point at government or at whoever it is and say, why isn't this happening? And it might be that there's no ambition from people in charge to do it, but even when there is, it's actually, it's really difficult to do. And even the people that are really pushing really hard on, green stuff and climate stuff still have so many obstacles to overcome and again it goes back to the point I made earlier about every single individual on the planet is completely different from the next so even you and I despite probably being quite well aligned in most of our beliefs will probably have a bit of a different idea when it gets to the details of what like a fossil fuel free future would look like and because there are so many people involved in the you know decision making process of these huge things it's not a quick or easy process by any means. That's like really good in terms of like giving context. I think it it makes a lot of sense why you might find it like quite easy to imagine an ideal world because you kind of have more of an idea of how to actually get there. Like I think even I struggle. It's like I might have an idea of what I want, but actually that feeling in any way realistic is quite difficult because I just don't know... <laughs> what we're going to do to get there. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, that's really, really interesting. And I think, yeah, like I said, I think the reason I, I would assume it would be quite frustrating is because of all the like loops and like steps it is like, it's like, oh my God, I think I would just like, I think I would implode. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think frustrating is the right. Uh, I mean, obviously there are frustrating elements to any job. Um, and for me, it just happens to be that it's stuff on climate so it relates to like conversations like this um but actually I've found it super constructive to understand why things aren't happening the way I maybe would want them to I found it I think I found it easier to process the world around me now understanding why things work the way they do and I can imagine sitting completely separate from the kind of like legal and politics and, and decision-making world why it seems so incomprehensible that things aren't moving faster or they're not moving in a certain direction um but to for me I find it easier to manage all these like feelings about eco-anxiety now than I did before which is probably not what I would imagine would have happened <laughs> if you'd asked me a couple of years ago less cars more bikes left before mars happier birds diverse representation idealistically the, the question that I, I put forward for following that up was like, what do you think are some of the biggest barriers 
um, we face when it comes to reimagining the way the world works. And now I'm like, that's really interesting coming off of what you just said, because like I was framing that in a yoga, you probably do find it frustrating. What has come to light in terms of what barriers we have? I think the biggest barrier, and this applies pretty much universally, is not being able to do the imagining in the first place. And I think a lot of that comes down to a kind of potentially from a leadership, you know, politics thing, but also we are responsible for it ourselves, um, is this idea of like storytelling and helping others envision what a good future looks like. And I can't think of a, I can think of one example that I'll talk about, example of like a political leader who's done a really good job of telling a story about why we are doing or why certain things should happen in order to get to a certain place. Because especially when it comes to climate, and especially in somewhere like the UK, where climate impacts aren't that obvious compared to elsewhere around the world. And yes, we are feeling its effects. And yes, it's becoming more dramatic. Um, And yes, in the extreme, it is taking people's lives and impacting people's lives. But on the whole, it's quite an intangible thing somewhere like the UK, I think. We then push for action on climate. And when we get it from government, there's not really this story that comes along with it to explain why it's happening. So, you know, like uh, a couple of years ago, Boris Johnson announced a phase out of um, petrol and diesel cars and vans in the UK. Uh, So 2030 for uh, complete combustion engines and then 2035 for hybrids. And there was no like story around that about why, really, why that's happening and the benefits that will come with it. So obviously the climate crisis is is one, but then there's so many benefits around like health and air pollution and the the cost of filling up a battery car compared to petrol and diesel is very like much smaller. There's no of this, there's none of this kind of storytelling about why certain things are happening and why certain policies are being introduced. The one example where I think it was done really well, one example I'm thinking of in particular was um, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in the US, did this little video with, um, I think it was with like the Green New Deal organisation of basically someone sitting on a train going into the city of New York. Um, And it was like a little animated film about like you could see like wind turbines out the window and all these little like kids running around in a park nearby and lots of trees and greenery everywhere basically telling this story of like what the future would look like if we acted on climate and why it would be so good for everybody and that idea of telling a story about why something is happening is I think just so important for bringing everybody along with you you know why is government why is taxpayer money being spent on xyz that's that's something to do with climate change and and i can totally understand this feeling of from people that you know climate st- despite the circles you and i run in climate's still not like super super mainstream it is really big concern like recent surveys have shown it is actually quite a big concern for the british public but i can totally understand when there's people who are struggling to pay their bills and put food on the plates why climate isn't really a you know big daily concern but actually so many policies and laws that could be introduced to do with climate change will help other areas of society but no one's telling that story there's no improved air pollution lower asthma levels improved well-being from walking and cycling more you know better diets if we encourage plant-based foods in schools whatever it is and there's a real risk that we seriously lose people on this journey because we're not telling good enough stories about why things are 
happening in the way that they are in terms from a kind of climate point of view. So I think it's a kind of challenge to all of us, myself included, is to keep doing this storytelling and keep talking about why things are happening and the benefits that they're going to bring and why it's important for wider society to understand, you know, not just what climate change is, but why we're acting on it. Yeah, that's such a good point. And at the the time of recording, the UK's energy strategy, which (laughs) let's not talk about that, just came out. And it was actually what you're saying, like, it made me think of the, um, the video that got like really one of the videos that got released along with it. And it was just like, kind of like, stock footage of like an oil refinery and, um, someone like building like a wind turbine like all this kind of stuff and it's such a good point that like that doesn't really show like what the point is (laughs) not that that energy strategy is really doing what we need it to do but yeah if you see that you're just gonna think cool (laughs) like what how does that benefit me like what's it really doing so yeah I think that is such a good point and um really goes in theme with this conversation about like how we can start making these visions of the future just like more visible for people. We are ready for the fun question of the episode, which I love the most. What would you invent in your ideal world if you had absolutely no limitations, nothing in your way, no politicians to tell you no? What would you invent? Um... I feel like this is kind of staying a bit on on brand, so I'm going to keep it. Um, I did have, I was actually thinking about this, like, what would it be? And there's a reason why I think this is so important. Um, and I don't know if it counts as inventing, because it kind of already exists. But if I could just like snap my fingers and have it, is that that's how I'm seeing this question. <laughs> and that is uh, zero emission aeroplanes. <laughs> Aviation is the only mode of transport whose emissions have grown since 1990 and it's basically one of the only subsectors in the entire world whose emissions have uh, massively shot up in the last 30 years so I have talked about this loads on my Instagram I used to fly a lot for work in my old job I mean I was at a period working in Copenhagen for a few months and I would fly out to Copenhagen every Monday and fly back to London every Thursday for like months at a time I have a huge historic carbon footprint like it's massive <laughs> and I would go on holiday loads because I was young and living in London and like earning money and finally able to like go do all the travel I wanted to do I've racked up enough climate debt carbon debt to last five people's lifetimes um and then I stopped flying for a while and felt so guilty about the past flying that I had done and then I learned just how polluting aviation is And one thing that's just not recorded really very well is like you look at kind of whether it's government or the climate change committee's projections of emissions and all that kind of thing doesn't account for the warming of non-CO2 effects as well. So about two thirds of imagine like the carbon, basically the carbon emissions coming out of an airplane times that by three and you've got the overall warming effects that aren't really accounted for and we there are some uncertainties still around like what exactly that warming effect is because it's really difficult to calculate um so even what we think it is it's still worse (laughs) than we know (laughs) um but I absolutely love traveling and I think it's such a privilege to be able to see so much of this like amazing planet. And I've been really lucky to see like some incredible parts of the world 
in the past. And I really like it's kind of corny but I really do think it's shaped who I am as a person being able to like go and see all these amazing things and interact with completely different cultures like I went to a school where the like kind of focus of the school was on languages and I went when I was 15 I went to Shanghai for a few weeks like that's such and and like stayed with a Chinese family and like that's such a unique experience for a 15 year old and I feel like I've got such a good like appreciation for other cultures and an understanding of like the fact that we live completely these completely different lives and there's people all over the world doing amazing incredible things and the fact that we're able to connect with them through travel is like huge I think it's world changing that we're able to experience all these different things and interact with these different people and the idea of not being able to do that anymore is really quite sad it kind of comes back to this like how how serious are we about the climate crisis should we just tell everyone we can't fly anymore obviously not that's not gonna happen like so inventing or being able to snap my fingers and turn every airplane into this is completely climate friendly would from a very personal point of view make me feel a lot better about being able to go on holiday but also I think just again goes back to that point about community people don't always live with you know their friends and family in the same place they have people spread out across the world it's just the world we live in now but also being able to build small little communities in other parts of the world through meeting new people and deliberately going and changing your perceptions of certain cultures or whatever it is but I find it really difficult to square away traveling a lot now now that I know just actually how awful flying is and when you consider in the UK it kind of uh, to me it's a massive climate justice issue as well because 70% of flights are taken by 15% of people and in any one given year 50% of British people don't step on a plane at all so it is like flying is a luxury (laughs) experience and actually the majority the majority of it isn't for um, business either because I think there's this misconception that like why it's because people are flying all over the world for business and yeah of course people do fly all over the world for business I did it and I think it's now looking back on it completely wild that that happened and it's still happening today especially now we will understand how zoom zoom works um but actually business and kind of work flights only take up I think between like 10 and 15 percent of global flights like the majority of flying is for leisure and the majority of it is being done by like the rich slash super rich so it's to me it's massively a question of climate justice as well so being able to click my fingers and remove the you know um, kind of climate implications of flying would be ideal in my world and I really enjoy working on aviation decarbonisation at work because it's it feels quite personal to me (laughs) I'm probably gonna be flying this year and it's just it's so much dread that comes along with it but it's like like you said like and I've mentioned this before like I have family abroad so it's just like unless I am going to take out a really long time to travel like by train or whatever, especially during a pandemic, we're doing that's probably not best advice. It's like, yeah. Until we sort out the issue of literally flying costing four times less than getting on a train, not like people aren't going to choose it. We have to make sure that alternative options are like accessible and, and affordable to everybody. Final question for you. I always like to leave people with kind of something that they can actually take away and like maybe start putting this ideal version of the world into play. What do you think is one thing? <laughs> I hate saying one thing because I know there are so many things, but what is one thing out of those many that people could do to kind of help put an ideal version 
of the world into our future? Um, to me, it would be the like kind of storytelling element of a future world. And if people around you are questioning, why, why have we got an energy security strategy? Why do we need to expand the amount of renewables? There's a huge story behind that about why, you know, why are we saying we don't need electric vehicles anymore? There's a huge story behind why. Why are people out on the streets protesting on the motorways? Whether or not you agree with things like, you know, Insulate Britain, there's a story behind why they're doing it and what it could mean for everybody in society. So I think it's rather than kind of giving, you know, answers about, well, because climate change. It's not just, it is about climate change, but there are also other things. Like, this is all about, a lot of this, from an idealist point of view, is about bringing everybody up and making sure that everybody has a good livable future that's accessible to everybody that people can live happily in and carefree in and you know etc etc live free of discrimination and oppression all that amazing stuff and if we're not telling that story about why we're aiming for that certain type of future we're going to lose people along the way so to me storytelling is key Thank you so much for joining me and uh, expanding on what your vision for the future looks like. I think it's a very hopeful one. I think <laughs> I think I actually really like the common thread between different episodes of people wanting sustainable travel because it just shows like how valuable that is to like the human experience. So hopefully we will get there, um, not just for you, but for the many other people <laughs> who are calling for it. But yeah, thanks so much. And I look forward to seeing what stories you tell about the climate in the future. Thanks for having me. It's been really fun thank you so much for joining me in this first episode of season two if you would like to support the podcast even further you can find it on instagram at, at idealisticallypod and on twitter at, at idealisticallyp you can find myself at, at tolmea which is spelled t-o-l-m-e-i-a and anything that might have been mentioned in this episode will be in the episode description thank you so much once again and i will speak to you in the next one Sound and editing by myself and music by Stowe Gregory. <laughs>